Hello and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Markets show. I am John Human, editor of the Investors Chronicle. This is our last podcast of the year. We're uh, a few shopping days from Christmas and uh, Harriet Russell. How are you doing, Harriet? Yeah, good, thanks. You're going to talk to us about shopping. I bit. am, yes. Excellent, Favorite excellent. Topic. And uh, we're also joined today by Cully Samara from Charles Schwab. How are Hello. you, Cully? Good, excited about Christmas. So, uh, are you? Good. Absolutely. Are you? We haven't had time to be excited. <laughs> no. Chronicles. From tomorrow We've only just noticed. Yeah, yeah. indeed, good. indeed. Um, but this is your second time on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. great to be back yeah no absolutely welcome back yeah we've obviously got some big news to talk about over from the uh, just the US a little bit today. Um, <laughs> just a little bit okay we'll come back to that in a minute graham davis over in the control room how are you graham hi john i'm, I'm okay i'm a bit overwhelmed by the thought of christmas at the moment but i'm hoping after this weekend it'll be a bit better yeah it's a bit overwhelming when you've done no Nothing. shopping and mm. you know all your attention has been focused on trying to get this magazine ready for the for the end of the year indeed okay so I said this was going to be a party podcast. Well, I, I forgot to bring any booze. Oh, we, so, well, that's what Sorry. the listeners think. This, this table is laden with uh, vodka and whiskey. Yeah, if only. Yeah, yeah. If yeah. only. the party poppers as well. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Uh, my, my bad. Okay, Graham, let's start with uh, the general market news before we move on to the Fed. Yeah. What's been going on? The back end of last week and the start of this week was was pretty grim uh, for equities. I think um, uh, on, the, on, on Monday, the market fell quite sharply. Uh, to a three-year low, in fact, for the FTSE 100. That was the South African thing, wasn't it? Well, that that didn't help. It didn't help. There was a bit of political un- un- political madness over there, to be honest, rather than yeah. uncertainty. It was well, <laughs> they, they've had a three finance, uh, ministers. finance ministers yeah. in a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. Um, so that hit some some of the big yeah. uh, South African stock like invest there called Mutual. Uh, took a bit of a beating. Indeed, yes. And, and obviously the whole commodity route was ongoing and is still ongoing, and that really hammered things. Uh, Tuesday and Wednesday things calmed down quite a bit uh, in the sort of look you know, people were looking ahead to the Wednesday evening UK time announcement from the Fed and and that sort of set the markets back on an even keel so maybe the Santa rally is finally here yeah well as I, as I wrote my editorial last week Grinch alert because yeah. <laughs> it did look at that point like Christmas uh, and the Santa rally had been stolen from mm. us but uh, it actually the the effect uh, according to watchers of these kind of seasonal effects uh, really starts mid-December anyway. So it kind of arrived on cue. Well, yeah, and if you look at the last six years, the S&P 500 has rallied 3.7% over November and December. Um, so it, it can be a little bit later or it can be sort of spread out, but it seems now, I mean, this week in particular we're looking at has been the best week since November 20th, although the last week was pretty dire. Mm. Maybe Janet Yellen has been the fairy godmother of the Santa Claus rally, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. which I guess you wouldn't have expected. Uh, but there you go. Yeah. We'll come on to that in a minute. Yeah, of course. We'll come on to that in a minute. My favourite headline in the seven days page this week, which was debated long and hard, Jock Strapped. Yeah. We're going to get in trouble for this. We are. But I did, <laughs> I did run this by our deputy production editor, who is Scottish, and he said he wasn't offended by it. Yeah, but he's not offended by anything. No, it's he, makes, he makes a, a point of offending as many people as he, he can possibly offend. <laughs> It, um, is, it is it's difficult to offend him. But yeah, no, it, it's in, I mean, the, inter- the story was interesting in that the Scottish government it appears to be building up a pretty, pretty frightening uh, deficit, mm. um, which could be as much as um, uh, uh, 50 billion by, by the end of the decade. So probably lucky they didn't get their way with independence after all. That is what a lot of unionists would say, yes. Mm, absolutely. Okay, what else have we got in seven days? Watchstone, aka Quindell. Quindell. Still yeah. rumbles on. Yeah. And there's a class action now. Um, uh, 340 odd uh, investors have joined together uh, under the, the the lawyers your legal friend, um, and are claiming nine and a half million uh, for loss in, uh, for losses in, in in their shareholdings um, when the whole Rob Terry 
share sale scandal and and, and the accounting scandal blew up at, at what was called what was Quindell now mm. Watchstone. Your legal friend have said they've got um, many, as many as a thousand people have contacted them about it. So this this may not be the end of this. No, no. This I mean this started a while back, um, mm. and I wrote an editorial on it at the time because I don't like the idea of being able to reclaim you know stock market losses through the courts. I, I really don't like the idea. I mean we all know the risks of investing, mm. and yes, we know that sometimes you know yeah there was something not quite right mm. about about this. There was a bit of dishonesty, but you know go down this route, a Pandora's box is opened, and you know every time you lose some money on the stock market, you go to the courts. You go to the courts, scary, and yeah. and and you know. The, the business of investing is about managing risk, and that is one of the risks. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, I'm not, not a big fan of I mean, uh, this kind of thing. Cully's here. Do, we, do you see this sort of thing in America, Cully? Because I'm obviously a more litigious culture. I was going to say, there's enough reasons for litigation in the States already. Yeah. I've, I've never heard of anybody going to the courts because of losses in the stock market. That, you know, you can't bat away easily. But, uh, yeah, I, I just hope we don't go down that road. To turn your term Pandora's box, I think, is, uh, is describing it lightly, really. I mean, mm. Big, big problem, especially firms like ours. I mean, we're a, a very large with lots of clients and they're likely to come after us, I guess. Who else mm. are going to go after? I mean, I guess they go after management. After the company's or, management? Or the nomads or, yeah, anyone that they can attribute responsibility for, yeah. the, for the misinformation that yeah. they've based their investment decisions mm, Yeah, on. and that may be based, maybe put at the doors of the brokers, you know. Obviously, we are one of the firms that provide research to our clients, but mm. uh, they might come after us for giving recommendations. Yeah, okay. yeah, it's not... Uh... It's not, not a good thing, no. necessarily. Okay, um, VW is still suffering. Um, we've all seen some shocking figures there yeah. uh, in terms of car sales in the past month since the since the scandal Indeed. broke. It uh, looks like there is there has been an effect. You know, no matter no matter what the management there say, there, there has been a reputational hit. Yeah, and, and that's been reflected on the forecourts. Oh dear. Mm. Oh, oh dear. dear. Indeed. Okay, so the Fed has awoken. I read today to get keep the uh, the Star Wars puns yeah. flowing because okay. this week is the launch of Star Wars: The Force Awakens, which uh, has got me uh, very excited, excited. indeed. I'm Good. quite excited as well. Everyone's excited. Of course we are. Apart, from, apart from people who read comment mm. is free on the Guardian. I'd say I'm probably moderately. Excited. Really, my wife's excited and she doesn't normally watch Star Wars, so I'm much more of a Trekkie. Put it that oh, way. Okay. Oh. My kids are Trekkies. They like they like the old Star Treks. But yeah. uh, no, I'm very excited. I sat in the cinema to watch the Hunger Games part. Four oh, and a Star Wars trader came on. on. And that was no, my family. <laughs> I know, I'm kidding. Star Wars trader came on, and I've got to say, there was some some emotion welling up oh, there. It was just, just bizarre. Yeah, I didn't think it's a what. I think it's our age. <laughs> I think it's our age demographic. <laughs> We're harping back to simpler days. I, I, you know, I think that might be it. Yeah, but I think soft in your old age, John. I've always been a softy. Really. <laughs> I, the cinema gets me. I don't know why. I don't know why. And I, you know, we we've talk, I, In fact, I talked this week in my editorial about Disney, uh, who yeah. are the franchise owner of Star Wars, yeah. and we were going to talk about this after we talked about the Fed. We might as well talk about it now because we brought it up. Yeah, this is this is going to be huge. And uh, Colour, you you mentioned some figures that. Uh, yeah, I mean the figures vary. I mean, you and I were talking about this before we came on. Whether it's going to be a total. Of three billion or four billion dollars generated by this one movie for disney uh, for disney uh, through a combination of box office numbers and also uh, all the merchandise they sell as well but you know it looks like a really smart move for them to have bought disney yeah. there are all these other smaller movies they're going to be spinning off as well obviously the theme parks will change they'll have uh, you know star wars elements within the theme parks they're building multiple theme parks across asia as well uh, especially china i think i read they're doing something like 10 theme parks across china Sounds about right, yeah. Yeah, yeah so yeah. there's going to be a lot of theme park growth as well. And, uh, you know, they're very clever in the way they've integrated uh, the Star Wars brand 
into their Disney stores already. I don't know if you've noticed. Yeah, they don't hang about. No, they don't. Uh, our colleague Algie Hall was mentioning it was his son's birthday recently. And yeah. Everything he got was Star, Star Wars. Wars. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think one of the things Disney have done is change the way that, that the segments work. So rather than sort of having confines and you're just covering online or just covering you know one element, they've tried to make sure it's overarched all the, across the different silos. Mm. So they're trying to move away from this silo mentality. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and of course they've got Marvel too, which yeah. has been an enormous yeah. money maker yeah. for them. Again, more spin-offs. Mm-hmm. From there. Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. So when I, when I looked at their numbers, I just kind of started thinking about Star Wars and yeah. holding back the tears on the Bloomberg <laughs> terminal. <laughs> um, eight quarters in a row, it's beaten earnings forecasts. Fantastic. And it might even go back further. I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't actually work out how to dig that information out. But yeah. this is phenomenal. Well, that's interesting because, you know, there's been a transformation in terms of the US consumer, which we've been talking about over this year. You know, the US consumers received all this money from a windfall of low oil prices. And everybody's been wondering, what have they been doing with this money? And one of the contentions is they've been spending it more on experiences as mm. opposed to big ticket items. Experiences being going to the movies, going to parks, that kind of thing. So clearly, they're one of the retailers that are benefiting from from that shift in the US consumer. And it's a good company. I'm sure they pay a pretty decent dividend as well. And it's not huge. Okay. That was the one thing that I found a little bit disappointing. But, um, but you know, it's not, it's not non-existent. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, no, I'm, 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 I think, you know, people are underestimating what this film could do. Yeah. I think it's huge. Yeah. Keen to see how it affects uh, stock levels in the world as well. I mean, oh, that's had good. a fantastic year. It's yeah. been, had Bond, Hunger Games and now Star Wars. So yeah. hopefully it uh, rounds off 2015 for it. As a yeah, good year. absolutely. Well, I mean, Stephen Wilmot, our outgoing company, editor because he will be gone soon we will we'll never hear his dulcet tones on this podcast ever again which is a, a great shame but he he mentioned to me we're in a deflationary environment with a lot of a lot of goods but retail experiences yeah. are in an inflationary environment still yeah. so you know yeah. cinema operators can continue putting up ticket yeah. prices it's one of the few areas where they have that pricing power yeah, yeah absolutely i mean i used to cover travel and leisure here before bradley joined us obviously and uh, i mean one of the huge topics i would speak to many not just in a world people like restaurant group as well did fantastically out of the recession people put money into experience more than they do into material items yeah. and it's doesn't seem to be sort of a trend that's going away very quickly now that the economy is sort of showing a bit of growth it, well, you say that but i mean dixon's car phone we, 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 we completely <laughs> sidetracked from the fed maybe we'll come back to the fed in a bit yeah because uh, like. we, we kind of segued into retail yeah we now, which uh, let's, let's carry on. Let's, no, let's, let's, let's go with the flow. Okay. So Dixon's Carphone yeah. had great results great this week. Results, you know that merge is working out really well. Yeah, for really, really well. Obviously, we're uh, a year or so on from that, and uh, and interestingly, I mean, I think there's always um, a very keen eye on electrical sales as part of retail in general, and uh, and it seems to be good for. Dixon's not so good for people like Home Retail Group who, you know, have Argos issues and, and things like I that. I guess it but comes back to the fact that they have these bigger ticket items, right? Yeah, absolutely. Whereas and they said actually, they were talking a little bit on the on the call about Black Friday and, yeah. and what sort of trends they'd seen coming out of that. And although there were no sort of real hard figures as yet, they're obviously saving that for their January flashy trading yeah. update. But they were saying that of the things that were really popular, it was white goods. And, and those did actually outstrip things like mobiles and tablets on the day. But, you know, in general, demand for, for tablets and mobiles is still strong. You mentioned Black Friday. Uh, that is actually an event in the States for a reason, because it's thanks, Thanksgiving the day before. Well, indeed. Mm. Exactly. And uh, it was the first time in the States that online spending outstripped uh, actual in-store spending. 
Yeah. Uh, so it's the same way as you're seeing over here. You've got winners and losers in the states. You've got those that have bricks and mortar, and those that are predominantly online. They're the main winners, really. Mm. No, I, I read something interesting that, that actually it's a carpet right, mm. which has been a perennial underachiever. Yeah. You know, I first sold that years ago, and it's just down and down and down after that. But they've had some decent figures. Yeah, really starting to come back. Actually, really, really sort of when I when I speak to the management guys over there, I'm actually pretty impressed. I have to say, and I mean, I haven't I have yet to be a carpet right customer. So. I have been a carpet right customer twice but i used to live pretty near a giant carpet right store and you know it was really down in the doldrums a lot looked really really shabby and uh, you know one of the big things that management had put on the top of the to-do list is to really overhaul that store estate put them in much more affluent areas mm. and really sort of attract a different clientele i mean they don't put it that bluntly but that is what they're trying to do and it seems to be working having been in the store recently i mean they're still a bit old-fashioned mm. there, yeah. there is a whiff of late 80s about late 80s, them yeah, definitely. Um, but but nevertheless the figures are working out well yeah, for them are. at the moment and, and what they said uh, and what i actually heard um, the management of Dixon's Car Phone talking about is when you're spending a lot of money on something like a carpet or yeah. a telly, you want to go in and see it. Yeah. Yeah. So actually the bricks and mortar yeah. side of things is important yeah. for those still, even though a lot, a lot of business is moving online. Yeah, yeah. and interestingly, Carpet Right is pretty much the only retailer I've spoken to this week who has no interest in talking about the importance of Christmas trading. <laughs> for them, it's a non-event. It's a non-event, yeah. And I think Wolf actually said that they're shutting down from pretty much this weekend. They put loads of the stores on, on mm. you know, holiday shutdown, basically, let yeah. their staff have a real rest, and then they sort of ramp up again in January when everyone's got, you know, New Year, new home fever. Mm, absolutely. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm doing a bit, load of building work at the moment. So You're a brave I, man. <laughs> uh, yeah, indeed. Indeed, indeed. Um, so I haven't done any Christmas shopping, but, but in the last week I spent 500 quid on bathroom fittings. <laughs> um, I'm about to blow a grand on flooring, uh, which, and I am actually buying it all online. Because mm. you know oh, there were wow. there were some smart retailers out there who are doing some good things, and the flooring stuff is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. They will send you boxes of samples for free, and you know it's like, yeah. okay, well, yeah. yeah, making it easy. I, I have spoken to Carpet Right Management not not this week, but we have spoken about it in the past as well. That online for them is a massive research tool, and they really shouldn't underestimate that. They say you know customers you can't necessarily get the sale to convert online in the yeah. way that a lot of other retails it's just natural. But they say their customers come into store, they pretty much already know what they want. They've done their research, and it cuts out a huge amount of sort of of, you know, sales gump and kind of that awkward in-store, you know, hard sell. So that's. So did they miss the whole wooden floor trend? Is that part of the reason they're in trouble? Have I'll they now what, fixed that trend? Because what are you putting in your floors? Engineered wood. There you go. They don't have any engineered wood. There you go. They only have laminate. Mm. And we're not buying laminate. Yeah, no. <laughs> Most people in this bracket wouldn't I guess really and that's something no it's going to be interesting how they sort of upgrade yeah. I think they've upgraded the store experience yeah. to treat this new affluent customer quite how the product range really mm. addresses that affluent customer I'm not sure yet I think they probably have more to go on that front but this so. is always you know I always scratch my head you know we're just shooting the breeze here and we've come to a conclusion which you think most of the listeners would come to as well doesn't this come down to research that they need to do amongst their consumers well it's, mm. it's interesting that you say that actually because uh, they're going to actually launch it was part of the results they made a, a really big deal of it, actually, as, as part of the statement and on the call, which was they're going to do a huge customer survey um, in January 2016, which basically which addresses... they haven't done before, right? They have never done it before, wow. apparently. I mean, Wolf Wash has only been there for 18 months, oh, right. so it's definitely part of his Good strategy to really get to know the customer base a lot more and, and basically just give them what they want. Yeah. I mean, it's really it's not, not... hard, right? Yeah, it's not harder than that. I mean, it, was, it is an old carpet, right? It's an old-fashioned retail. It was, you know, it's been family-owned, still probably majority family-owned at the moment, but it was run by its founder, and mm. then his found, the founder's son was, was 
in a senior management position as well. Somebody, you know. Yeah, but you see a lot of family-owned companies, right? Walmart is yeah. ostensibly yeah. was a family-owned company, and look what it did. And that's about listening to your customers, and it's good to hear that they're doing that finally. Though. Yeah, they're really going to put their hands up, yeah. I think, good. and, and take some accountability. Absolutely. I mean, while we're on the subject of electronics, which we've we've sort of moved away from a little bit towards carpet. You know, <laughs> Let's talk about Imagination, which had a big profit mm. all in this week uh, in the context of Apple. Mm. So I guess the problem with Imagination is, you know, not enough devices are being shipped that gives it the royalties. Mm. You know, I was, I was listening again to the radio this morning, as I do, the, the, the business chat. And, you know, there's a bit, there's a worry that we've hit peak Apple. Yeah. Yeah, it's tablet sales, that. I mean, car phones are tablet sales, but are not holding up as well as they No, and, were. and uh, on the Dixon's call, Humphrey Singer was saying that, you know, as, mu- as much as mobile, sort of demand for mobile in the UK was was stronger than they expected. They did actually call this sort of a, a sort of a bit of a leap year in in terms of um, iPhone sales because it was only the launch of, a, of an S model, and he seems a lot more optimistic about the launch of a seven. He says that will sort of drive more customers well, to, to upgrade. So we'll be lab, interested to see if he's right. <laughs> the secret lab that Apple has opened up in Taiwan. Did you hear about that this mm, week? No. I did. Uh, yeah. Oh no. How no, can you call it one. secret? <laughs> <laughs> and I think what what Apple are looking at now is making the leap from computer processing to the actual the material that the iPhone's made of, and that'll be where the leaps will happen. Whether it's the screens or the actual material itself, you know, one of the things they're going to dispense with the headphone jack, right. uh, change the charging functionality. So we might be surprised. I just like a more robust screen, please. Had yeah, my six S Plus for two weeks before I smashed that baby. Uh, uh, <laughs> I'd like so. a, I'd like a battery that lasts more than ten minutes. Yeah, uh, my battery's not that bad. My yeah. iPhone five was. Horrific, yeah. but it's getting better. Yeah, it's getting better. This is like a focus group for Apple. Yeah, it is. <laughs> well, let's, let's stop doing their work. No, for you, um, you, you, your point there. I mean, we had yeah, imagination, which you said, and IQE this week. IQE both as well, both yeah. trading updates. Both said mobile has been weaker. Yeah, recently. Yeah, so it's just interesting. But maybe it is that upgrade cycle. We're in a, a step year, the S year, rather than the proper. I don't know. Or just saturation. Or just general yeah. saturation. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Well, let's see what happens this Christmas. I guess uh, we'll see whether the iPhone is the hot gift Mm. uh, of 2015, as it has been in previous years. Who knows? Who knows? knows? Let's talk supermarkets quickly. Well, you mentioned Walmart. Let's talk British supermarkets. Yep. um, Because you've done those in the sector focus. I have. I have. Um, Ian and I filmed um, a short video this morning. If anyone wants to go and check that out on the website, but uh, but yeah, it's uh, it's sort of a comprehensive look, really, at sort of what what the current trends are, really what. The state of the discounters is and um sort of what 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 investors can can really expect out of this sector if anything at all it's been a pretty, bit of a horror show in it's recent been a years. horror show it really has uh, but i've probably spoken to just about all of them i would say in the last well certainly in the last quarter but you know in the last month or so actually um string of results from from all of them um so we're kind of taking a bit of a of a sort of eagle eye view on the whole thing and, and we're picking our, our favourites and our, and our not-so-favourites. <laughs> okay, well, read, read the magazine, you'll find out who they are. Yeah, exactly, I don't want to give the game away. Let's not give too much uh, away. Okay, but uh, again, Christmas is going to be all important for those guys. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, it was uh, Mike Coop at Sainsbury's who said um, that, you know, he's going to hold his hands up and everyone wants to win Christmas was his uh, his turn of phrase. And um, I think what is interesting, and, and this is his point, so, you know, forgive the paraphrasing, but he, he does say that Christmas is an interesting time in, in the context of the discounters 
losers because obviously all year long they're losing market share to discounters. People tend to trade down. It's borne out the recession, right? And that hasn't ended. But interestingly, at Christmas, it's the one time that people want to feel a bit more special and they start to trade up again. So, you know, things like Taste the Difference at Sainsbury's start to fly off the shelves. People even go as far as Waitrose, M&S Food. They push the boat out. Mm. Discounters, so, discounters, the product quality, though, is pretty good. Yeah. It's interesting that you say that too. Little uh, this week and last has, has been making some noise um, on two fronts, actually. One, it's going to take its business online, which is going to be massive. Um, and the second is that they're really trying to address this customer that they know is a premium customer through and through, even a Waitrose shopper or, or something like that. But they're trading down because they want value for money. Mm. Um, and what Little doesn't want is, well, what they do want is to make that customer feel especially comfortable in their stores. So they're mm. going to be pouring a huge amount of investment into upgrading their store estate, making them really plush, modern, etc. Trying to do away with those horrendous checkout lines and, and things. That Aldi's you always, Aldi's always talking about blind testing, aren't they? Whenever they blind test their yeah. food next to other brands, and yeah. people generally quite surprised yeah, themselves. Yeah. So. They, they, they win a lot though. I think if you speak to the general public, the quality of the product is not what gets people down. It's the shopping experience. And I think Lidl has really caught on to that and they're going to try their best to to make it not so. But I mean, what's interesting is uh, having a conversation with Algie earlier today was that he was reading um, some things about really the margins are on an absolute sort of knife edge at Mm. the discounts for obvious reasons. And it's to what extent can they really afford that investment without taking some sort of hit on the margins. Obviously, the middle market being squeezed by the discount counters it won't necessarily have that same challenge mm. so they've had to be making these adjustments the whole time is it the return of the middle market is that around mm. the corner we'll see. we'll see well i've never been into an audi or a lidl but my town is getting both an audi and a lidl oh, in the next year i won't give my exact address away but i do live in Bassey and we have a lidl and it is right next door and i mean right next door they share a car park to asda wow. which i find fascinating yeah john when you covered the retail sector you, you used to pride yourself on your scuttlebutt yeah and now you now you haven't been near an aldi or a little i i i they, they weren't really a phenomenon but i missed it all right mm. who are you trying to do? catch you me your age <laughs> your age again <laughs> yeah I, I was aware of them yeah, good. i was aware of them good but you know i'm, I'm middle market through and through yeah. all right anyway listen we've um, we've uh, digressed from what we originally started to talk about let's go back to it the mm. fed yeah the fed has awoken cully what you, what, what's going on? Yeah, so it's, it's been a long melodrama to lift or not to lift. Mm. And I guess the concern is that it might be a disaster, but we don't think so. We've been calling for a rate lift for a very long time now. Finally, it happened. Uh, I mean, today's Thursday and happened yeah, overnight. Uh, it's only 25 basis points. So I'll go from near zero to 25 to 50 basis points. Uh, there are a couple of things in there which were a little bit more hawkish than everybody expected, which is probably why the dollar is slightly stronger today. And one of those... Uh, without getting into the detail, is the Fed's dot plots or the expectations of where rates will be this time next year. The Fed now expects 1.375 in terms of where they'll be in December 2016, which hasn't changed from before this meeting. Mm. which surprised everyone. The other thing that was surprising is a unanimous decision. You know, we've had dissenters before. We know that it's quite a dovish uh, Fed composition overall, but there are no dissenters. So uh, it's a good thing. You know, there's a lot of central banks which would be enviable of the the Fed's position, being able to lift because fundamentally the U.S. economy is in a good place. So um, I'm really, really happy. A lot of my clients are very, very happy. And uh, it's a good thing, definitely. Yeah. I mean, from a you know philosophical point of view, it's a good thing. Yeah. You know, loose monetary policy um, it's not good. has caused a lot of problems over the years. Potentially, the Fed would argue that actually they've uh, single-handedly pushed uh, unemployment from 10% to 5%. 
Mm. That's what their argument would be. Some people would argue, well, they've actually created all these bubbles which are waiting to pop. Yes. So that's yeah. obviously the counter yeah. argument you refer to. Asset, asset price inflation. Yeah, yeah um, exactly. Which is, which is not, you know, not in some areas, but in others, certainly stock markets, for example, it's... Uh, Property bubbles yeah. forming and, yeah. and such like, you know, yeah. has, made, has made life difficult for some people. Yeah, I think property, especially in the States, the commercial property market is the big concern at the moment. Uh, and that seems to be, we've been talking about the shoe, the next shoe to drop for, I can't remember how many years now with the commercial property market. The, the residential property, property market has picked up, you know, decently. It's not near bubble territory yet. Uh, you know, lending is still very strict when you take a mortgage out. So, and it's all very regional as well. I think in the UK, we have two regions, right? In London and outside of London. Mm. In the States, you have much more regionality, you know, the Washington area, New York area, all these other areas. But it's a net positive, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I guess the great concern, though, is that, you know, whilst the US economy is strong and can obviously cope with a, with a rate rise, perhaps the rest of the world can't. So there will be knock-on effects that, uh, that, that are unfortunate. Yeah, I mean, I think some of those potential negative knock-on effects have already fed through. You know, everybody's concerned about what happen- might happen to emerging markets and the tsunami of cash that might leave emerging markets. Some of that has already happened. And emerging markets, as you and I, as I'm sure your readers know as well, you shouldn't lump into one big block. I- I'd heard a new term, bark. I've not heard that no. one before. Brazil, Australia, Russia, and Canada. So Australia is now an emerging market? Yeah. <laughs> that's what I <laughs> yeah, thought as well. A, well, they're, yeah, no, there's a few of those. There's mint, isn't there? Yeah, and there's the, all kinds. And 11. Yeah, and, uh, emerging or, or middle markets or whatever you want to call them. And these are commodity markets generally. Yeah. All four of them. And then the Chinese story as well, which, you know, it's moving away from emerging market as well. And, and again, to that, stealing this from a client, the power of big numbers. When China was growing at 14%, the size of the economy was something like $3.6 trillion. Uh, in 2014, when it grew at 7%, the size of the economy was well over $10 trillion. So, you know, all these other concerns that we've got in all the different regions because of the US lifting rates, I think, you know, they might be a little bit overblown. Uh, both the IMF and the OECD expect higher growth next year, global growth. That said, the US is o- the only market where we are seeing a tightening of money, monetary policy, yep. really. Yep. So, you know, Europe is, Europe is loosening. Yep. The UK is not tightening. Yeah. Uh, Japan is loosening. China is offering up stimulus um, where it needs to. Yep. You know, and you could infer from that that a lot of the other central bankers around the world don't think that the economy, the global economy, is that strong. Yeah, I mean, they, they assume that monetary policy is a cure-all. They think that all the structural problems they have, both in Japan and Europe, especially in the labor market, can be cured with monetary policy because it seemed to have worked in the States. Mm. And I think the fundamental difference with the States is the degree of labor market flexibility that you have. I don't know if the, you know, if the Fed is completely right about the labor market. You know, they're still hung up on this Phillips curve idea that if you push, inflation, if you push unemployment low enough, there's an inverse relation to uh, inflation. And, you know, some people are saying that's not necessarily true. But but going back to, to what we're saying about, you know, all the other countries loosening monetary policy, you know, that combined with valuations, there's this deep, deep assumption that all these other markets will outperform the US next year. You have to be careful about everybody assuming to be on one side of the trade, which seems to be what's happening at the moment. So your view would be, I guess, that the US is still going to be a good performer next year? 2.8% GDP growth compared to 1% for Japan, 1.6% I think for Europe, a sideways year this year, a lot of volatility this year in the States. A consumer, you know, we've already talked about the consumer a little bit, in a very good place at the moment. 
So it could turn out to be a pretty good year for, for the US next year. And, I, and I'm not just talking my own book. And yeah, I, well, indeed. <laughs> I would you never accuse you of such a, a thing. There's a bias there. <laughs> but, but, you know, I genuinely think that the Fed is moving rates for a good reason. Uh, and that's because of the underlying strength in the economy. So, so I mean, the economy is strong. Yep. Markets, I mean, how's this going to translate through to the markets? Because, I mean, earnings in, earnings in the US have not been spectacular. No, no. Uh, and I know you, you shouldn't really do this, but if you strip out energy, they haven't been that bad. Right. Uh, and, you know, asking about markets, the question I've had over and over again from our clients and people in your business as well is, you know, we've had a very long bull market. In fact, we've had a very long business cycle as well. This business cycle is 78 months long. Post-Second World War, average business cycles last 58 months. So I'm going to write, I wrote this down, and this is for, just from Sir John Templeton. And bull markets are born on pessimism, grow on skepticism, mature on optimism, and die on euphoria. So my question to anybody listening to this podcast and to you guys is, do uh, you think we're optimistic or euphoric at the moment? Either of those two. I'm never optimistic, and I'm certainly not, not euphoric, apart from when it comes to what the Star Wars film. Yeah, I'd say we're only ever on the cusp of optimism at the moment. We're and, on the cusp. Yeah. 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 And it wouldn't take long for someone to cut you down pretty quickly. So yeah. it, it can only be at the at the beginning of that curve, surely. Yeah, and, and I think we're everyone's still slightly sceptic as well. Mm. And if you look at the amount of money that's flown out of U.S. mutual funds, equity mutual funds, $143 billion came out of U.S. mutual funds last year just for equities. So clearly there's a lot of scepticism in the States about the States still. So we don't think the bull market is dead. No. I mean, there's a view expressed in the magazine that in terms of valuations the US is a bit more expensive yep. than a lot of other markets and that for you, a reason though for a reason Europe is cheaper because the earnings growth hasn't yet come through but with what's going on behind the scenes in Europe and at European companies you, this might be the year for Europe so yeah I mean I'm not writing off Europe you know everybody has to be globally diversified to a degree nowadays and and what I'm saying what our question nowadays is do you think you have enough US exposure based upon how big the U.S. market actually is in terms of global diversification. And generally, what we find with U.K. investors is that they are slightly underexposed. Well, it's a funny... I mean, in terms of how you get that U.S. exposure, yeah. you either go down the individual stock-picking route, yeah. which for the, actually for the U.S. market is probably easier to, to access than, than many others, in fact. Yeah, it normally is. Um, the thing is, it's been very, very difficult to be a bottom-up investor because stocks have been so correlated with what's been going on with the macro picture. Yeah. Uh, and so a lot of our clients who were bottom-up sort of not given up on that, but now sort of looking more at the macro picture, especially with what the Fed has been doing. The Fed has been uh, had its hand in so much of market movements that it's been very difficult to be bottom up. Maybe now with the Fed trying to normalise, you can get more success being a stock picker. I hope that is the case. We hope that's the case. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's felt like a bit of a thankless task okay, over the last God knows how many years. Yeah, you know, yeah it's frustrating. Uh, really frustrating. Trying to take a value-led approach or, you know, try, yeah. trying, to really, try, trying to even take a fundamental approach yeah. is often mm-hmm. at times yeah. felt like a fruitless challenge. Yeah, completely. You know, so, completely. So, yeah, I, I, would, uh, I would like to see that, yeah. that change. Um, and we talked very briefly about some of the equities that Theron has talked about in our US bumper feature this year. Um, we talked Disney already. I think we, we were all in agreement. Good, good story there. Nike, you mentioned as well. That jumps out at you. Yeah, Nike jumped out at me because uh, going back to the China, China story, uh, we know that China is trying to, trying to make this big transition and move, move away from being a manufacturing economy to be a consumer-driven economy. Q3 earnings season for the States was very interesting because there were the winners and losers from those that do business in China. One of the losers was Caterpillar because they make these big goods which are obviously used for manufacturing. One of the winners was Nike, who I believe had 35% sales growth in China, I think in a year-over-year basis. And this is all about the, the transition of the, you know, the growth of the consumer in China. 
And so it's an interesting company. Again, uh, I'd be interested to see what kind of dividend they pay because that could be an interesting look. Yeah, it certainly also sounds like it speaks to power of brand as well yeah. from a retail point of view. I mean, if it's capturing imagination, I cover a number of retailers that are struggling like hell in China to capture any kind because of Because of brand. Yeah, well, I think it has a lot to do with brand. And it's just interesting that there seems to be this narrative about China's consumer story, but it doesn't seem to apply to all retailers. And yeah. when you ask what the difference is, I think it, very often it must come down to quality and brand. Well, you've yeah. got Mulberry in the magazine week and they had a, they've had a bit of a nightmare going yeah, out there and obviously Burberry as well have had a, had a struggle had a nightmare and we've recently put Prada. sell advice out on Jimmy Choo um, for, for the same reason so Prada yeah. had a nightmare recently as well didn't they this week just, yeah luxury yeah. retail in general it's really hurting. struggling in China yeah. Coach actually which we've looked at in the past another US equity that's been that's been doing terribly in China recently as well mm, absolutely you'd be fascinated once somewhere like China comes out with their own luxury brand or their own version of Nike that actually sells overseas and some of the tech companies are trying to do it um, it'd be interesting to see when they start to move some more to these consumer goods. Yeah. Are you seeing any of that? Are you uh, any of that? Yeah, I mean, there have been a couple of disaster <laughs> companies yeah, on let's AIM. Yeah, let's not talk about them. <laughs> that have really, yeah. really tried to sort of do that. But, uh, yeah. you know, it has yet to really, I think, match. Um, the problem is, I think, when you try and take on um, Nike, someone like Nike, I Disney. mean, you're, yeah, you're battling legacy yeah. as well as quality and, yeah. and brand. I mean, you're battling years and years of established market footholds. So. Indeed, um, I mean, that's how I describe Disney in my editorial this week it's a one-of-a-kind company yeah. you, know, yeah. you can't replicate that no, you, you just can't. cannot replicate it and you know talking about the power of brand nike i think signed up lebron is it lebron, oh, LeBron james, james yeah 500 million incredible for a lifetime, yeah, lifetime contract. agreement yeah. and poor david beckham gets 130 million from <laughs> adidas you should feel very hard done <laughs> <laughs> my point exactly <laughs> okay i mean Actually, one's jumping out at me, Pfizer, mm. because uh, obviously Pfizer is part of the biggest M&A deal of the year, second biggest of all time. Yeah. So we've got Harriet here, who understands the sector. Well, yes, healthcare. And, uh, and, and Cully, who's obviously, you, you must have paid attention to the huge wave yeah. of M&A that's, uh, that's taken place. that's driven this year. by the sort of reverse taxation. Yeah, I mean, this is, I, I'd written on healthcare M&A all year, mm. really tracking tracking the pattern. And I think one of the points that I keep having to try and reiterate, and you know, it does feel a bit like Groundhog Day, is that you've got to look at the motivation for mm. these deals. Anyone that watched Pfizer try and make their pump for AstraZeneca last year will know that they've got a huge cash pile currently lodged offshore that they're desperately trying to repatriate, mm. not having it subject to US taxes. And the easiest way to do that is to take over a foreign company that's got a tax domicile elsewhere, which is exactly what Allegan's got. Mm. Um, it's got an Irish domicile. So what they'll effectively do is take it over, but they'll appoint Allegan as the parent, from what I understand, and, and take over the Irish domicile. So it means that Pfizer can then bring that cash back onshore and it will be subject to a far lower tax rate. It's also interesting because they're going to get a one-off windfall from it because so far Pfizer has had to lodge a $21 billion provision against that cash on the off chance that they might have to bring it back into the US. Now that that's not going to happen, they can wipe that provision right off and uh, and their balance sheet suddenly looks a lot healthier. You know, what has been amazing about all these uh, taxation deals is the, the vitriol being poured out of uh, the, the, the press in the States because I, I watch the press obviously very carefully and mm. companies like these are being questioned for their lack of patriotic uh, commitment when what they should be doing is questioning the tax code in the states which is you know one of the biggest problems that the states has i think yeah absolutely i mean i've also said in the coverage of pfizer and elegant that we've done is that you know i don't it's exactly the reason that the Abvi and shire deal fell through is that the, yeah. tre- the treasury are hot on this stuff and yeah. they want to close the loophole when they can and so it wouldn't surprise me at all if the Treasury throw everything they've possibly got to stop this going through in yeah. terms of competition reviews and all sorts mm. of things. So I was convinced that Abvi and Shire would go through and it didn't. Yeah. So. 
Well, p- patriotism is something that's very rare on the UK market, it has to be said. <laughs> but, uh, but actually, there is, there is a bit of speculation this week, and, and this actually does involve the government, Rolls-Royce. So Rolls-Royce has been having a very tough time. Five profit warnings in a row, I think it is. Big management restructuring announced this week by, by new, new boss Warren East. Uh, but rumours circling, Graham, you must be looking at these uh, over a potential merger with BAE. Wow. Well, there's, yeah, there's two, two strands to this. But one of which was that the government may be looking at nationalising Rolls Royce's submarines, okay? Because they don't want because the, I think the fear is that Rolls Royce's shares have fallen so far, and now there's an activist on board that there could be something corporate action going on, and Rolls Royce could be being eyed up by an overseas buyer. But it had, there's a gold want the, that yeah, there is there is obviously a golden stake. There is a golden stake from the government, but obviously they don't want any chance of the submarines business falling into. Foreign hands. The other option is a possible merger with BAE. Yeah, it's which would be huge. Absolutely huge. Uh, huge. Um, really, but that, big stuff. that is protecting national interests as well, uh, you know, rather than you know sticking up for British jobs or anything. It's it's national interests there, which we don't do enough in this country, really, do we? No. What protecting our national interests yeah. when it comes to Companies, some of the bigger deals that we see. Yeah. But then, you know, I mean, the, the one that the only re- big deal I remember there being any sort of kind of fervent outpouring of nationalistic fervour for was Cadbury, Cadbury's, of yeah. all things. But then the deal still went through, though. Well, it did, it, go through. Through. <laughs> it did go through, but, you know, it was, it was an odd thing to get to get so worked up about, I think. It's a, it's a chocolate it became maker, a bit of a really. political uh, football, that one. It did. Uh, Vince Cable was all over it, standing up for the little man sort of thing, you know, and they sort yeah. But it didn't happen. It didn't work. Anyway. Well, look, I mean, the French did it with Danon. And yeah, yoghurt maker ostensibly, aren't they? So yeah, yeah. We should well, do it more. Well, the US have done it uh, several times in the past oh, when yeah. it's come to. I mean, I think oil it was, companies uh, with Chinese oil companies, Chinese buyers and usually. CNOOC mm. try to buy some China, uh, companies in the states. It, yeah, they cite national interest. Well, there was another one uh, that like, I looked at several years ago. I think it was Whirlpool, the uh, oh, white right. goods manufacturer, yeah, yeah. and a Chinese buyer was interested in that, and that yeah. was blocked because of, of national interest. Of, because of national interest. Wow. I've heard the technology in washing machines is uh, very sophisticated <laughs> yeah, these days. Be. Cannot must cross be. borders. Um, yeah, no, no, fascinating, fascinating stuff there. So we'll, we'll be keeping keeping our eyes peeled on that one because it's. Uh, It'll just be interesting to see what happens to the M and A market next year if we've got you know normalising interest rates in the states and going the opposite direction in other countries. It'll be fascinating to see what happens with that. It would be it would be ridiculous to think it could top this year, which was I mean it's it's the record year. It's well, over, over four point two thousand seven though, right? I mean. Well, yeah, it was that four point six trillion? Yeah, and we hit that at the end of November. So yeah. uh, you know, it's got to be it's got to be approaching five because you know, big big deal was announced since then. Mm. But American companies are probably you know the, the, the dollar is worth you know the dollar is very strong. Yeah, they've yeah. got a lot of power in that at the moment, and they're looking at assets in Europe and 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 the UK and Asia, and you know they've got a lot of spending power. So potentially a reason to stay invested in some some of the more struggling industries because there may be a bit of consolidation on the way. Hmm. Well, interesting stuff. Okay, well, uh, thank you, Cully. Thank you for coming in. That's a really fascinating insight into kind of the it's a, quite a US perspective on on what's going on with the Fed, which we don't really hear that yeah. much over here. Right. So uh, no, thank you. So, Pleasure. Great, and thank you, thank you, Harriet. Yeah, um, we'll finish our drinks off now. Hasn't we'll finish it? our drinks off now, shall we? <laughs> um, and, and thank you, of course, Graham, over there yep, in the control I'll get room. I'll back to my eggnog. Eggnog. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, as I said, this week was our bumper issue. It was uh, uh, a real effort to put it together. It's 104 pages, not a lot of advertising, which is often the case at this time of year. So uh, a real massive effort from, from the team to, to put those features together. Um, there's a few results in there, as we said, mostly from the uh, mostly retail, yeah. retail consumer sectors, all the usual comments, um, and uh, we even have some tips at uh, this time of year. There's a little Christmas presents there for you. Lots in the personal finance and funds section, which they will 
will no doubt discuss on their podcast tomorrow. Uh, and Algie Hall has done a roundup of his stock screens for the year, which are flying, as they always do. And is this the last one for the year, or have you got another one? No, we've got one more for the year. New Year's Eve edition, look out for that. And that will actually be about the secrets of small cap success. Algie Hall's putting that together as well. He's interviewed some of the best small cap fund managers out there to find out how they how they go about navigating what can be quite a tricky market. Um, okay, thank you again, everybody. And uh, thank you all for listening this year. We've had a lot of fun doing it. And uh, we'll be back in the new year. Hopefully, we'll, uh, we'll continue to make this bigger and better. And uh, I'd just like to wish you all a, a Merry Christmas before we go. I hope you have a really lovely time. And uh, we'll be back again in three weeks, I think. Okay, have a great time. Have a great Christmas. See you soon. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.